Welcome, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. Tonight's agenda, what's wrong with America? <laughs> we're going we're to work it all out and uh, come up with some answers or maybe just a, a summary of a description of what's going on there. Um, I, of course, am Trevor the Iron Fist. This is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It's a weekly podcast. We look at news and politics and sex and religion, a little study of society course that we run for our own benefit and you get to listen in as well if you choose to. With me, as always, Paul the Twelfth Man. Greetings, Earthlings. With us, as always, in the month of May and now June, was the beer sponsor. G'day, listeners. And also, not infrequently, or a little bit infrequently, I don't know, occasionally with us, um, Deep Throat Craig, welcome. Hello, listeners. Right. So last week, we were t- um, I decided that we were going to talk about um, COVID-19 and... Um, the benefits and effectiveness of shutdowns. And I thought, well, there's a whole entire podcast just there. And that was the plan. And then, of course, America blows up, as it has. And so we're going to talk about that first of all. And then we'll talk about uh, COVID-19 shutdown stuff uh, later on, probably in about hour three, I would say. <laughs> Craig, I hope you don't have to get home early. <laughs> Well, you like to get up early in the morning, but... I love a good three-hour podcast. Bring right, okay. So do we have enough A uh, deep dive. Let's take a deep dive. Yeah, I think we do. I think I've ever mourned Mrs. Fist. I think... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I've apologised in advance on this one. If you're watching us uh, live, we're on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch, and Ross is already in the chat room saying g'day. Hello, Ross. If you do decide to... Watch on any of those forums, uh, just pop us a note in the chat room and say hello, that's good, and um, put in your two cents worth, and if we can get to it, we will, and right, well, oh, that was, by the way, that intro music was What's Wrong With America by The Relatives, who recorded it live at the Bell House, so might play a bit more at the end of the episode. Right, so, of course in America, um, George Floyd... We need to discuss what's happened there. And given that uh, this podcast will last for decades and at some stage somebody might be trolling through our back catalogue and going, what happened with George Floyd and what was going on there? We may as well just give a quick review of the facts and what's happened. So, well, in summary, Australia, um, America rather, is still lynching black men, uh, except now they use their knees and the people doing it are police in broad daylight. And... Um, we can only imagine what goes on behind closed doors if that's what's going to happen on the streets of a major US city. So um, George was suspected of passing a forged $20 note. Like, he wasn't... That's it. That's it. He wasn't accused of beating anybody, of anything violent. And, you know, 
if you were in America taking money and buying stuff, you could easily pick up a forged note. Like, it didn't say that he knowingly created the forged note. So, suspected of passing a forged $20 note, and, of course, the police officer um, had him on the ground, his face on the concrete, and he had his knee on his... The police officer had his knee on the back of his neck. And, um, well, of course, the killer in this case was a policeman... Um, Unbelievably, he was watched by three other policemen. When all the policemen knew they were being filmed by civilian, by civilian bystanders, and the victim, George, told them, I can't breathe and you're killing me. His knee, if I could just correct mm. it, wasn't on the back of his neck. Mm. It was on the side, mm. compressing his windpipe. Yes, even worse. Yep. The evidence is that George was held down for 8 minutes and 46 seconds and was unresponsive for the last 2 minutes and 43 seconds. The guy has not moved, he's unconscious for nearly 3 minutes and this cop has still got his knee on his neck. And the video shows that um, he did not remove his knee for a full minute after paramedics arrived at the scene. Seriously? And after all that, this policeman was not charged for four days while investigators waited for evidence, while the videotape is still available. Can I just say that I saw another video of a completely, you know, another incident during protests where police had uh, put somebody on the ground and another policeman had his neck on this person's, uh, had his knee on this person's neck. Yes. And the other cop said, what are you doing? And, And brushed his... Leg off. It's not exactly an unusual mm. uh, procedure for police, apparently. And I today was watching the news this afternoon. There was a, uh, a rather violent arrest performed by some police in Redfern in Sydney. And they also used their knees mm. on this kid's back to hold him down on the ground. I mean, it's a very effective way to hold somebody down. But on the neck, anybody knows that if you compress a person's neck, you're putting their life in peril. Yeah. Well, every bouncer knows that if you have somebody in a chokehold, there's a real risk of of inflammation and of swelling. So somebody can sort of be all right and then the swelling increases and they asphyxiate. Um, So your average bouncer knows that's a no-no. And, in fact, if they know the right technique, they sort of do almost like... um, a Vulcan sort of hold from something out of Star Trek by Dr Spock where they just p- apply pressure at the right spot and cause someone to pass out mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. actually compressing the windpipe. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like a known dangerous thing to do. That, mm-hmm. um, anyway, just a few more facts before we get into it and I'll let you have your, have your bit of a say. Um, so, yeah, not charged for four days while investigators waited for evidence. The criminal complaint that was eventually um, laid on him said the autopsy revealed no physical findings that support a diagnosis of traumatic asphyxia or strangulation. (laughs) That's what the complaint says the autopsy said. In this case, um, George Floyd's family got a private autopsy done which said that um, the cause of death was was mechanical uh, asphyxia and the manner of death was homicide. And shortly afterwards, the family's... uh, Shortly after that was announced, the Hennepin County Medical Examiner released its own findings, also concluding that the manner of death was homicide. So, so I don't know what this complaint. So I don't know what the complaint 
the criminal complaint said not asphyxiation, but the private autopsy said it was, and some autopsy from released by the Hennepin County Medical Examiner, who I would have thought was the same one being used mm. for the criminal complaint, said um, manner of death was homicide. Um, so this, of course, is on the back of the Armoured Arbery case where the killers were not arrested for 74 days and only arrested after a video went viral. And as a result, riots have ensued and we're now seeing images of really terrible, unnecessary violence from police and the National Guard, tear gas, rubber bullets, um, on people who are clearly just innocent protesters who are not uh, obviously you know, appearing to cause anything and, and violent. even people standing on the front porches of their homes yes. watching police walk down the street yes. have had what they call pepper uh, it was, balls. It was kind of like paint gun sort of stuff, yeah. Uh, fired at them? They were just on their own porch watching and saying, oh, gosh, look at those guys yeah. marching down the street, and they were yelled at and told, get inside and shot at. It Unbelievable. Was, yes, incredible. So the other thing we're seeing is cop cars driving over protesters. Um, so, and, um, and then today, so after being forced to hide in a bunker in the White House, um, Trump got police to use tear gas and rubber bullets to clear peaceful protesters outside the White House so he could go outside the White House and hold a Bible for a photo opportunity at the nearby St John Episcopal Church. It's across the street, apparently, mm. yes. So, so he never goes out, but he he wanted to prove a point and to say, I can move these protesters on if I want to. I'm going to go to this church and hold a Bible for a photo op. So Pretty got, nasty. That, that is terrible. It um, really shows the calibre of the man, doesn't it? Yes. So last week you guys asked me, where would I rather be arrested? And I said, it depends. Am I a black man? You know, we're talking about China and the USA. And I asked the point, point honestly, you know, am I a black man? And it makes a difference. And at least in China as a black man, I'd survive the arrest process and I'd make it to the watch house alive. But you might least. not find a place to stay for the night. <laughs> well, there you go. But anyway... Um, uh, thoughts... Gentlemen, there's a bit more background there. Mm. The the cop uh, was involved in a fatal shooting in 2011. So he's got form. Yeah, yep. and was suspended. Mm. Um, I was talking to Paul on the way over, and I thought, why wasn't he fired and never, you know, in 2011? Mm. Yeah. So, um, do you want to say something? Oh, I was, uh, the. Autopsies, you know, mm. it's having. Yeah, I'm having trouble having confidence in the system when you have two and possibly three autopsies which mm. aren't um, consistent. You know, and is this sort of buy an autopsy? You know, like you know, you get the autopsy you want to have, you know, mm. <laughs> depending on your point of view. So mm. that's a bit of a worry. Um, except in this case, we've also got video evidence showing that this is over the top. Violence by the police against their citizens. Yeah, mm. yeah. This, it just leaves you with no trust in the system, and it, at and all. it leaves me with nowhere to go when you criticise America. Indeed. <laughs> Let, actually, on that score, last week 
when, when Woz was referring to China initially and he said this. Uh, we know that they're not a fan of democracy, free speech, human rights or justice. And all of those things the United States actually stands for. Oh, so Next week. Okay. <laughs> See, I thought I'd have to work hard to prove some of those points. <laughs> But it's just been laid out. But look, what was said is correct. The Chinese are not fans of any of those things. Mm. No, but he said America stands for those things. It does. And democ- most of the time. <laughs> Human rights and justice? Yes, it, well, it does in principle, uh, Trevor. It does in, in well, principle. But in practice. In practice. In, 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 words, in, in words, it might say that, but in actual practice. I don't think we should assume that every single, you know, case in America is unjust. No, but what this does, like all of these people, if, for example, that event happened in Australia, you wouldn't have had the same response because we don't have a sense of a systemic problem with our police force and a systemic injustice happening that we, same way. We so, would see it as an anomaly. So, so white people are often scared of police and they can only imagine how scared black people are. Like that obviously demonstrates a large proportion of the community knows there's a really big problem with our justice system. So it's not just one event, it's a build up where people look at it and go that's right, that's happening too often, we need to protest because we know it is happening all the time. So it is a systemic problem in their, in their system. So, uh, I'm not sure the statistics would um, bear but, out the degree of some of the claims of but, but, but all, institutional racism, but the perception is certainly a very strong one. Hmm. And, you know, anecdotally, I, I'm sure there are lots of um, African-Americans who will uh, bear that up. Well, given the history of America, um, right from the Civil War, um, there would be this culture and knowledge of history that would make people worry, and people, particularly people of colour, mm. be worried about what may happen. Um, and some of that stuff is well within... Um, living memory you know, of, of incidents happening sure. and, um, and you know, lynchings and all these things. So Absolutely. It's, you know, people have that in the back of their mind in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, Blair in the chat room says there's been a lot of Aboriginal death in custody and that is a thing that's coming up lately is a comparison of uh, Australia to America and we're mm-hmm. saying, well, you know, we can point the finger at America um, People in glass houses is yeah. is the allegation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a few differences here, though, and that is that when we talk about racism, there's an awful lot of black and coloured people in Australia who don't get incarcerated and don't die in custody. Um, like we've got a huge number of Asian and Middle Eastern and um, you know people of other colours as well. So. Um, to say it's a matter of race uh, when a lot of coloured people are not part of the statistic at all is is one thing. And there's a, there is a cultural... Well, the other thing is deaths in custody. A lot of them are... The majority are not actually beatings by... 
police, but in fact people dying either of suicide or of natural causes, um, you know, old age or, or whatever in custody. So people die in custody for reasons that yes, are on the outside. Yes, and, and, and I was uh, curious about that. Mm. So I had a little bit of a look mm. today and I, I sent you guys what I found, which wasn't very much. But it did seem to indicate that the deaths in custody... Uh, whether you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous, uh, a, a lot more people die of natural causes than die of, um, you know, abuse or um, violence inflicted by mm. staff. And a lot of suicides. So, and a lot yeah. of suicides. Yeah. So these people like uh, our MP Linda Burney, who was talking about this, I mean, they've, they reel off these numbers, you know, there's been more than 400... Um, Indigenous Australians have died in custody since 1991, I think. Mm. She doesn't mention that the majority of them died either of, uh, you know, suicide or illness or other natural causes. So it makes it sound like mm. over 400 Indigenous people have been murdered by the staff, and that just isn't the case. Mm. So we have to To be really careful. So the Australian case is complicated and I haven't had time to really look at it. We we might do Do it next week. Yes, because I realise it sounds like we're skipping over it, but holy heck, there's been a lot going on and that's just one particular Mm. issue. And it's a huge issue by itself, of course. So Bronwyn and Blair, um, can we just put that one aside for the moment to deal (laughs) with when we've had a chance to do some proper analysis of that? So. Uh, recognise that that's a legitimate argument that somebody might say, well, you're being hypocritical and people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Mm. Right. But just getting back to the American one, um, what does this mean? What's going to happen down the track? So with this, you know, this is not the first time this sort of thing has happened. So Rodney King was nearly 30 years ago where he was beaten up by police officers and on that case, caught by video, sort of early days of video mm. footage, not when everybody had a mobile phone like they do now, yeah. and that was compelling. And um, and in that case, police eventually arrested and got off, despite the video showing them giving them a hell of a beating. So that's when the riots ensued there and 60-odd people killed. And Was that 30 years ago? Yeah, nearly. Yeah, nearly. So in Los Angeles, was it? I think so, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, I wonder if the result would have been different if iPhones had have existed and people could video the crime as it was happening. Well, they did video it, the Rodney oh, King one. They? Yeah, yeah. Actually, oh. it was old-fashioned sort of... Um, Someone had a VHS. camera. Yeah, yeah, something like that. A oh, camcorder okay. or something like that from yeah. a guy at a patio who just happened to have one. So, yeah. Oh. So, um, and despite the video evidence... Um, they still got off. They still got off, yeah. yeah. So... Um, I look at this and I think, where's it all going to lead to, these riots? And I think it'll basically simmer down and life will get back to normal. Until the next one. And people will continue to be oppressed and this will all continue to happen. And change isn't going to happen. Like, Mm. you can't change the American system. It won't change. It'll continue as it is. Careful. Right. What about the, um, you know, the civil rights movement in the 1960s? There were probably a lot of people at that time saying, oh, you know, those protesters, you know, they're wasting their time, nothing's going to change. And yet things did change, and quite, quite a lot. Not instantly, mm-hmm. but they did change. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't uh, assume nothing's going to change. If you go, go back further to, you know, the South and the lynchings exactly. and all that sort of thing. So I think things have improved. So the, the trend is good. 
But um, if you're talking about a sudden change, nah, yeah, won't happen. Even in Australia, I mean, there are a lot of people, particularly young people, who haven't seen as much of life as we have, as some of us have, uh, who would say Australia is incredibly racist. And I've seen in my lifetime a diminishing of racism. I've seen it quite noticeably uh, and detected it even among my own family in the way they talk about Indigenous people, you know. Mm-hmm. I can remember as a child because my parents came from a country town where Indigenous people lived outside the town. They lived in a shanty out or, you know, in some community outside the town. Mm. And now they don't, you mm. know. So mm. things have improved for sure. Mm-hmm. I even had uh, one cousin of mine married an in Indigenous man. And, you know, I mean, nobody really talked about it in disparaging terms. But, you know, looking back, I can sort of detect that it wasn't sort of the proudest thing in the family, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So there was certainly ra- racism was sort of, you know, right through the fabric of uh, mainstream society. I think now most people, you know, if you said, oh, my cousin uh, got married and you show them the wedding photos and there's an Indigenous partner, mm-hmm. I don't think very many people would be terribly fussed about it now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think it's an attitudinal change. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. while, you know, there's always an element of racism in mm-hmm. any community, in any society, I think, I think it is a lot less than it used to be when I was a child. What do you think, Craig? Yeah, I agree. Um, if just going back and not even talking about Indigenous people who... When I was a child, I didn't have any contact with. I can't remember coming across an Indigenous person. Indeed. But I went to a school where there was a large Greek population mm. and there was definitely tension there and there was kids saying things and um, so... And I guess that's racism, it, it was. Well, do you know, young children <coughs> will tease anyone that's yeah. a bit different. Yeah. And in fact, I... <laughs> I, I was talking to Warren about this on the way over. I had a conversation a few weeks ago with a, a friend of mine and he's of English extraction, you know, normal European English and his family migrated to Australia when he was a kid and I, I don't think he's listening to the podcast so I'm safe here. Mm-hmm. But we, we were talking and uh, I don't know how we got onto the topic of racism but we did and he said, yeah, he said... I suffered racist taunts when I was in primary school too, you know, because I had a funny accent and stuff. And I looked at him and I said, that's not racism. For goodness sake, he's as European-looking as I am, you know. That wasn't racism. That that is just young kids like to tease other kids who are a bit different in some way. And I I think we've all seen it, you know. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily racism. I think that's just childhood immaturity mixed with curiosity about anything different, you know. Mm -hmm. I have a nephew who um, grew up on Thursday Island and blonde hair, very pale skin, Mm -hmm. and around him was no one that was looking like him at school. So he got the opposite Mm. direction, as it were, in terms of race and and talking. So, So I think you're right. Kids do respond like that to anything different and any chance to sort of have a bit of a go. But, well, um, it's human nature to respond mm. to the other. Mm. Like mm. I have a, we've got a friend who worked as a nurse in Mount Isa Hospital and when she came back to Brisbane, she said to her mother, she said, 
why didn't you tell me that I'm a fucking white cunt? And she mm. said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, when I'm working in the hospital, that's what all the Aboriginal tell, people tell me I am. So mm. all the time. Like, just <laughs> all the time she was mm. abused by mm. the Indigenous people in Maui's hospital mm. while she was working as a nurse trying to help them. So it cuts both ways. Well, that's um, right. We're all human and yes. we all have the same <laughs> biases. And mm. um, But there's yeah, also a problems. genetic advantage to it, like, you know, uh, the American Indians, you know, when the Europeans arrived in North America, you know, about half of them got wiped out with smallpox. So, And the same happened you know, in the, Australia. A yeah. reason to be wary of the other is the other was likely to kill you in mm. if sort of... Um, kill you by, you know, various violent means, means or, yeah. you know, also mm. by... Um, invisible means. Invisible means, yeah. yeah. So. I think the smallpox that wiped out around Sydney area is 75%. No, it was, might be more. It was like mm. 90 yes. plus, yeah, percent. Mm. And got the percentage got less and less as you went... Towards yeah. the centre of Australia, yeah, mm. and the the cultures that you know rejected the other actually benefited. Mm. You know, they got all, to pass on their genes. There's mm. also a theory that uh, smallpox may have been introduced by Macassan uh, seafarers from Indonesia, what is now Indonesia, mm. who used to visit the north coast. But look, I also read that in Victoria, after uh, Europeans arrived to settle the Melbourne area. Uh, smallpox, they, they, you know, they've calculated, you know, they, they make guesstimates of what the population was and they reckon probably 50% mm. of, the pop, of the population at the time of European settlement probably died of either smallpox or measles or some other communicable uh, mm. disease. Dreadful mm. sort of thing, really. Yeah. Just getting back to uh, George Floyd and why is this happening in America where we don't see it? like this in other countries. And one of the things is I think that um, the police have been militarised with a lot of yes. ex-military equipment. Um, so some of the police forces have machine guns. like And tanks. So, and, and sort of Hummer tank-like sort of things. Um, depending where you are, in terms of training, it seems poor rural sort of areas, almost the sheriff slaps a badge on them and... and and mm. gets them to swear on a Bible and they're in, whereas in more urban areas they undergo some sort of training. Um, you've also got um, – some of these states have really strange systems with these district attorneys who are in charge of prosecutions. So they're elected, some of them. Mm. So they're not <laughs> trained lawyers. Well, they can be trained lawyers, but they're elected by the people, some of them, mm. and – if they want to get re-elected, they've got to have good statistics, good KPIs, good arrest and conviction rates. Mm -hmm. So it's in their interest to be locking up as many people as possible to keep their job. And, they, and so they can become really zealous compared to a secure public servant who's just prepared to take on cases mm. on their merits without any sort of um, need to sort of... Indeed. Get them over the line in order to make sure they get re-elected. So that's a really strange system, it seems to me. It's not every state, but and I'm not sure if it was in this Minneapolis or not, but mm. that's something that sort of then creates cosy relationships with the police where they need the police help to get convictions and so they're then reluctant to cause problems for the police because then they'll have problems with performing their job and they 
are really motivated to get good results. So I've read yeah. stories of um, judges mm. in America being found to mm. have been taking kickbacks mm. from private prisons yes. to send them inmates. Yes, indeed. Yes, yep. Almost in a Shawshank redemption sort of thing where the prisons were using cheap labour and, yeah, all that sort of stuff. So, and of course, in America, I mean, it's a desperate society. There's a lot of poor people who are on edge. And so if you're a policeman, it would be an entirely different experience from being a policeman here in mm. sleepy old Australia, really. Absolutely. I mean, I, there are I dangerous I lived in moments. the US mm. for um, 12 months, mm. nearly 20 years ago, mm. and the police over there are not shown the respect by the general public that mm. we show police officers respect here in Australia and I'm not quite sure what the reasons are for that but mm. um, yeah it's not um, you know in Australia if you know you, your, your son or your daughter was to become a police officer you'd be quite proud of them yeah. um, over there if the same thing was to happen they'd probably looked at it as like, oh, what did they really want to do, you know? They, they yeah. had to settle for being a, I was talking, a cop. They I was, couldn't go to college. <laughs> I was on a Zoom call with Cam Riley and Ray and a bunch of Americans earlier today, and it really varies. It depends. It can be seen as a good, solid, middle-class job, and mm. it can be seen as a desperate job. It really varies across the country depending on... Mm on the state and whether it's yeah. rural or urban or how sophisticated the state is, it's a, it's a mixed bag. So mm. That's right for many, but mm. also a good solid job in other areas. Definitely where mixed, I was living. Where was that? In Erie, Pennsylvania. How, how big is Erie? Is it? uh, it's about the size of Newcastle, Australia. Okay, right. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Given the population in jail in America, and it's, I believe it's quite massive compared to other countries, mm. and if you come from a poor area and a black area, a suburbs or town or whatever, then you would have relatives in jail. And I guess that sort of goes back to our Indigenous population too. And if you've got relatives in jail, you know you might not be happy about it. Um, you might not agree that they should be in jail. So I think just having that number of people in jail from your community would put a slant on things because the people who put them there are the police and the system. Mm. True. Yep. So. I have an anecdote, just a quick mm. one. I ran into an ex-schoolmate one day many years ago and I was uh, hitchhiking out to my mother's house in the suburbs and this guy stopped and picked me up and I jumped in and it was a, it was a kid that had been one year younger than me at the same high school. And I said, oh, gee, you know, I haven't seen you for so many years. What are you doing? And he said, I'm a cop, just straight out, I'm a cop. And I said, oh, and I was a bit surprised because it was a relatively academic sort of school. And uh, I said, why did you become a cop? He said, six weeks paid holiday a year, you don't have to work too hard, plenty of drinking time. That was his answer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hard to get the sack. Mm. Hard to get the sack too, yeah. Mm. Pretty secure. Mm. But anyway, I'm sure not everybody becomes a cop for those reasons, obviously. Mm. Mm. So I've been predicting riots for a while, but, but, but this is not the sort of riot I was predicting. I've been predicting one about people going hungry. So I, I was just looking at it and thinking, if the statistic is true that 40% of Americans do not have $400 spare in an emergency, and if so many people have lost their jobs 
there just are going to be a lot of people who can't pay rent, so they're going to be evicted, or can't buy enough food, they're going to go hungry. And at some stage, uh, if you're hungry and you're homeless, mm. rioting is your only option left. That's to me, is the right that won't go away when it starts if people can't eat. So they've got a lot of food banks happening around there. So, so we're going to move on from George Floyd just briefly. Um, but I read this story about... Um, about food in America, and this is Julie Nix who pulled up her Silver Ford Escape into Traders Village, an 80-acre flea market on the outside of San Antonio Southside around 8.30pm on Monday the 4th of May, so last month. Uh, The place was closed, the parking lot was empty, and um, she turned off her ignition, uh, unbuckled her great-granddaughter, Elizabeth, and prepared to settle in, and she was there 24 hours early to get at the front of the queue for the food bank. Mm-hmm. And um, and by the time she left, some 10,000 cars had shown up. Gosh. Mm. That's a lot of people lining up yeah. for food. Yeah. So, and, you know, <clears throat> some of the rioters would not be rioting because of racial discrimination. They'd be rioting because this is an opportunity to loot and steal some food and, yep. you know. All these things need a trigger and this is the trigger. Yeah, and, mm. you know, I think in combination with what we're going to talk about later in the show, you know, COVID-19 and, and being locked up for a long period of time builds a lot of tension. So, yeah, I, I think it's a combination of a few things. It's a, almost like a perfect storm. Mm. Some of the looters weren't stealing food, by the way. Uh, and interestingly, the sort of stuff they went after was, uh, you know, designer clothes mm. and skateboards and cool stuff, you know? Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, maybe they couldn't afford to buy. Well, yeah, or you can hock it at the pawn shop and get money for it, that sort of mm. thing as well. So um, rather than walking out with a few bags of flour, just grab a colour TV or, you know, a flat screen TV and sell it or hock it. So. Um, but actually, Blair in the chat room says that um, uh, to you, 12th man, how's that different from a teacher? Uh, lots of people go into teaching because they look at it and they go, I get lots of holidays and I won't have to work too hard. And like, It's a myth. A, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, teachers work Defend your tribe. Hard. Defend yeah. your tribe, Paul. Yeah. No, but they seriously do. I mean, I'm. But, not. but you don't think there's a lot of people into teaching because they think, oh, I'll get all those holidays. I think it's public service I'll, I'll in general. To, I'll get to I'll get to finish at three thirty in the afternoon, and I'll have all those school holidays. Like lots of people think that. Well, so. if you talk to enough teachers, you'll find that all those holidays are not all spent mm. on the beach. A lot of them are spent catching up on marking, uh, preparing, you know, for the, the, the coming semester or term, I should say. Being married to a teacher and <clears throat> knowing quite a few teachers, I am absolutely amazed at the amount of preparation that goes into preparing mm. for the next day. It's yeah. just mind-boggling. And uh, But I'm sure there are teachers out there who do just rock up at 9 o'clock, don't do a good job, and they're out there at 3 o'clock too. There are some, for it's sure. It's like yeah, any, any profession, there's yeah. good, t- good ones and bad ones. Mm. And, yeah. Right, okay. Um, uh, let's move on to... Um, one one more thing before we get on to uh, the COVID-19 was uh, 
I, I, I've never followed Twitter. Have you guys ever actually followed it? But Not really. I know how to do it. <laughs> okay. I've, I've just started following it and I've, I'm following one person and that's Donald Trump just, just because <laughs> I feel like you almost have to um, and you start to read so many things about what he tweeted that you may as well have looked at the source material. <laughs> so he, um, he, of course, sent out a tweet that said, uh, there's no way, zero, that mail-in ballots, so this is postal voting, will be anything less than substantially fraudulent. Mailboxes will be robbed, ballots will be forged and even illegally printed out and fraudulently signed. The Governor of California is sending ballots to millions of people, anyone, dot, dot, dot. And Twitter said a little note, a sort of an exclamation mark and in different colours, it says, get the facts about mail-in ballots. So... They to put him, it to Donald on Trump. the bottom of his tweet. So what they do now, mm-hmm. if there's something in certain circumstances where they deem that's actually wrong, they they're fact checking. Yeah, kind of a fact check. Here's the mm-hmm. link to. Um, so uh, his response was, "I will shut down Twitter for fact checking." <laughs> <laughs> That'll so, be the single best thing he's ever done as president. Well, I think everyone will be glad if, <laughs> if Twitter is removed. <laughs> the world will be a better place. Yeah. Well, uh, I read this thing that said you have to appreciate the irony of being enraged over a fact check for stifling free speech, then threatening to shut down platforms people use for free speech. Um, Libertarians amongst us, um, are you okay with Twitter putting um, a little fact check thing at the bottom of of a tweet? He thinks I'm a libertarian. Yeah. Yeah, who's the other one? Yeah, exactly. What? Yeah. (laughs) I was looking that way. Not at at Craig. So... Do you, libertarians have a problem with... Um, with well, who with decides what the facts are? Well, you yeah, do. You don't want tech companies being the arbiters right. of truth. Absolutely that's, not. That's a t- terrible situation to be in. Right. So... I, I mean, a lot of people assume mm-hmm. that it's very easy to find facts about anything. Mm-hmm. One of the things... I re- clearly remember my, my teacher, uh, I think it was my history teacher at university, saying... A fact is a very, very hard thing to find mm. and nail down. As, as we're going to discover very shortly, yes. Mm. So, so you think Twitter should just stay out of fact-checking oh. and, and... I think Twitter should get real right? and, uh, <laughs> you know, leave the facts to people who know about facts. Mm. Okay. Um, right. Let's talk about COVID-19 and we got to this earlier than I thought we would, but... Um, there's been lots of backward and forward amongst us over shutdowns and this all came about because the other week was said about Sweden and how Sweden's case said will prove something and I was like, ah, that doesn't sound right to me. And I said, I put the word out, somebody fact check for us and provide some stats and information so that I don't have to do it. <laughs> and uh, actually we did get a listener, Liam McMahon, good on you Liam, he came through and helped out with some with some stuff. So, dear listener, if you're sick of COVID-19 statistics and shutdowns and stuff, um, see you later because we're going to go for a deep dive now. I'm even going to take my jacket off because I know this is going to get heated. Oh, dear. All right. So, um, Do we need uh, COVID safe screens between the four of us? Yeah, yeah we're fair well, enough apart. This, this is why I've got deep throat here because I realised I was going to be outnumbered. And I'm not going to disappoint. Right. And I thought we'd get some help. So 
we're going to be talking about charts and facts and figures, and um, I'd like to start with some introductory thoughts when it comes to these graphs and the statistics and stuff. So uh, there are lies, damned lies and statistics, uh, popularised by Mark Twain and incorrectly attributed to Benjamin Disraeli. So uh, we hear that one a lot. I like this one. Um, if you torture the data long enough, it will confess to anything. <laughs> and I think this more than one of us is going to be guilty of that over the next yeah. little while. Yeah. So, yeah, if you torture yeah. the data long enough, it will confess to anything. Mm. And uh, my friend Liam actually works as some sort of data analyst, so he knows a bit about data. Yes. And he had some warnings for us and some advice, so... It was very good. Yes. Thanks, Liam. I, yes. I really appreciate your contribution. I thought what he did mm. was very good. So I'll just um, say a few of the points that he made, which is um, this might be the first voyage into quantitative analysis for a lot of people, and I think it might be good to talk about some of the pitfalls of data analysis. One, oversimplification. Data is like looking at the shadow of the real thing. You're capturing some aspects of a thing and using it for analysis. Um, He's saying we're dealing with so many different factors here of population, culture, geography, government interventions, societal reactions. There's a lot of things at play and we're just seeing bits and shadows of stuff. Correlations and causations. So it's easy to point to two curves and see the same trend and think that one causes the other. This is not necessarily true. Um, there's so many things happening and such different data, it's hard to isolate and attribute one effect causing another. So correlation doesn't necessarily um, lead to causation. Small numbers, and we mentioned this about Australia and New Zealand in particular, um, numbers are much more susceptible to statistical variance when they're small compared to when they're large. The example I read in a book was to do with schools where you have one OP1 in a school of 10 kids. Statistically, this looks amazing. As simple maths gives you 10% OP1s. In reality, they probably had one child who was really smart that year and maybe they won't have another for three to four years. So their stats go 10%, 0%, 0%, 0%. Compare this to a school that has 500 kids. They're much less susceptible to outliers and will have more consistent performance. So you could argue the same when it comes to statistics for Australia and New Zealand where our numbers are so low, 103 and 22 for deaths, um, uh, these outliers have a bigger effect. Does right. everybody in the audience know what an OP is? Uh, yes, in Queensland, OP is... Um, Good point. Is Yes. Uh, it, it's, well... An, Overall... Performance position, something position. Like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's a ranking so an, of students in Queensland high schools. Yeah, yeah. is mm. what a, a graduating mm. high school year twelve student needs mm. to get into courses like medicine, probably law, architecture, things like that. Right. Okay. And uh, it goes down to I think twenty five is the lowest. Is that right? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> in the chat room, Bromman likes the one about torturing data, and Davina. Says my stats lecturer at uni said the plural of anecdote is not fact. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Good point. That's a good one. Yeah. And um, here's another. Here's another one from finally from Liam as well. Before we move on, yeah. um, numbers can lie. A good quote from one of the consulting pages I follow was, "Quote: 
people who think the numbers don't lie have never massaged the numbers on a model. (laughs) (laughs) So it's very easy to cherry-pick information for stats that support your point of view or play with assumptions in models to give you the answer that people want to see. So that's true. That happens in business a lot where they say we want to get to this result. Now create a spreadsheet that gets me there Mm. and make whatever assumptions you need to Mm. along the way. So, yeah. So So Liam's overall point was the problem is so complex we can't possibly know the answer. Indeed. I think when it comes to assessing um, between countries and the effectiveness of what's gone on and describing why one country was poor or worse or better than another country, to put it down to one factor is probably almost always wrong. There's going to be a number of factors that interplay on both sides of the equation. And Yeah, yeah. there is. There's, mm. you know, there's got lots of factors. And mm. the other thing is we're still in the middle of it. You know, we're, this, we're mm. still generating data. Mm. And um, I think I mentioned last time I was on that the epidemiologists are going to have a field day with this. And that's going to go on for 10 years. So we won't see the real you know, studies coming out for quite a while. Most of the studies now are just being pushed out as fast as they can to give some sort of um, um, basis and um, framework for what we're going through. And, mm. and for action, of course. And for action, yeah. Because yeah. so, we've got to make decisions now, even though we're making on the basis of not such good, a da- good data analysis at the present time. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think I, I saw a, a thing when in Victoria when they were talking um, to an epidemiologist there and um, they were talking about getting these sort of facts and figures and studies and, and, and analysis out of it in 48 hours. And, they, and the guy was saying, well, we usually take six months to do this. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. it shows that things are right pressure. under yeah. time pressure. Mm. And um, that makes it that, you know, mistakes can be made. When, yeah. when you're under pressure, you can make $60 billion mistakes quite easily. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can see them from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's, um, there's a lot that we don't know. Mm. Um and even, you know, in a couple of years' time when we've crunched the numbers and crunched them and crunched them, they'll still be imperfect. Mm. But we're starting to see some trends, aren't we? Yes, we're seeing trends, but we don't know how to explain them necessarily. Mm. So we can we can, we, can see. we can rule some stuff out, I think. Let's get there. But we still, mm. this is a long run-up for this. <laughs> we're getting there. Mm. Um, uh, originally, a lot of the statistics we were looking at was deaths rates per million, how many people died mm. in the total population yeah, and looking at those sort of percentages as what seemed like a good starting point mm. for comparing countries, deaths from COVID-19 as a percentage of the population, deaths per million. But one of the things we're discovering as we're reading this is that everybody counts deaths differently. Mm. Even amongst, I mean, ignoring dictatorships and tin pot communist countries and all the rest of it who are motivated to hide the data to make themselves look better, mm. just well-meaning Western liberal democracies yeah. have a different way of approaching it. Some of them counted everybody who died in a nursing home as being mm. a COVID death. Some of them didn't. Um, all sorts of strange assumptions made. I've got a good example of that. Mm. This afternoon I was looking at the data for Spain and they gave the um, total number of deaths on any particular day 
and I think it was the 25th of May, Spain had negative 1,980 deaths. Right. They, they brought did some people back to life. <laughs> <laughs> did, they, did they explain how they did that? No. I think um, they, they need to put the word out about that. Is that an accounting adjustment? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yep. So, yeah. Um, and even that guy in Queensland, he was misdiagnosed, the seventh victim in Queensland. He, yeah. Uh, he was originally put down as a COVID-19 death, but yeah. Late, mm, a couple yeah. of days later, yeah. it's... No, um, yeah, I can explain that one. Mm, sense can you? Okay. Yeah, well, if you... And, was you were on the money with that one when you were talking about things about how pre-test prevalence... Um, I don't think you used those words, but that's how I, um, how I interpreted it. Um, makes a difference to a test. So if you're interpreting the results of a test, you have to look at the accuracy of the test. But people don't realise the outcomes of that test, whether positive or negative, the pre-test odds, and that's the term that we use, makes a difference. So to, to sort of try and explain that, if, you, if you're in the middle of a, an epidemic and 50% of the people presenting at a hospital have that particular disease and you have a test that confirms that, then the accuracy of the test isn't as important because you will get a whole heap of positive to come through. But say if the numbers drop down to very small numbers, then no matter how accurate the test, the numbers of false positives will remain the same. So if you do a thousand tests where you've got a lot of people there, a lot of people before you do the test that probably have the disease then you've still got the same number of false positives. But when you get down to very, very small numbers you st- and you do a whole heap of tests, the same number of tests, you're still going to have the same number of false positives. So when I heard that happen, I thought, crikey, we're talking about a population where there's hardly anyone you know, in, in Western um, Queensland. So the chances, no matter how good the test is, of this being a false positive are fairly high. Mm. So if you're looking at the outcomes for a test, you have to look at, pre-test odds, pre-test prevalence of the disease. Mm. So if you understand that, then you go, if we're looking at small numbers, it doesn't matter how good the test is, you're starting to get on shaky grounds. So, mm. um, so, and, and that's with a test like with um, RNA, with PCR um, testing, which is what they're doing with the, SNOP, uh, with the swab. We're mm. talking about something which has got a likelihood ratio of 14, and that's really, really good for showing uh, for, for specificity. Um, so it's a very, very good test. And when I'm talking about likelihood ratios, one means it's a flip of a coin. So mm. the higher you get with that, the better it is. So 14 is really good. So even with a really good test like that, you ended up with a false positive. Mm. So, yeah, that might explain things a little bit. I hope I explained it okay. Mm. And false positives are not... I mean, you get false positives in any kind of test, Absolutely don't you? any test, yeah. yeah. There is no test that's, that's free of false positives mm. and false negatives. Um, so, yeah, you've got... Yeah, and, and also with that, you've got... Sen- for a test, you've got sensitivity of the test and specificity of the test, so... But um, also quality is... of the test equipment too, right? Like... And the operator. The operator is the big the operator, one. Yeah. The operator is a big one, so... If, yeah. If you, if you put this swab on the person's cheek and think, oh, I've done a good job, you're not going to get a good result. So yeah. operator makes a big difference. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I heard some uh, test kits that they were using in one of the African countries. Um, China sent them 30,000 test kits or something like that. Bloody and they tested, a, they tested a grapefruit 
and it was positive yes. for COVID-19. <laughs> well, well, did it have it or not? <laughs> it's doing well. It's recovered. It's been in the ICU. That's fine. Mm. Yeah. Okay, some other thoughts, preliminary thoughts. There's a lot of them. Um, so just back to counting deaths. So obviously mm. a lot of people have been buried that we'll never really know if they have yeah, COVID-19 or not when we're looking at it. So I like the idea that's been shown that what they'll end up doing, I think, is looking at what the expected death rate was in a particular country prior to COVID, mm-hmm. then looking at the actual death rate post-COVID and making an assumption that the difference between the two is probably all COVID. And I reckon that's what they will arrive at in terms of a, a death by COVID is, rate. Is mm. that a safe assumption, Craig? Um, Probably not, but it's a reasonable assumption, I guess, because the, the, you've got a factor that's changing things in population, like um, like in New York where someone has a heart attack, can't get into the hospital and then they die. So instances of things might in, get worse because the health facilities are under under stress and that. And um, and also you get people who are scared. But, I'm not going to go out because I'm going to think. But, so but in of, a sense, that <clears> is a death by COVID still. It is. Because it it's is. a death by the pandemic. And this is what comes back yes. to what you were saying. How yeah. do you say what the deaths are? Yes. Yeah, because they might not be directly yes. COVID, not, but they're not, still a Didn't die COVID of COVID disease, but died of COVID yeah. pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Yes. exactly. Yes. So, mm. um, And uh, there's dying yeah. of COVID-19 and there's dying with Yep. COVID-19. Yep. Mm. Um, I didn't realise until I sort of put my head into this whole COVID thing is that um, uh, when, when you're nominating cause of death, that's, that's pretty hard to do sometimes. As someone under, who's filled out a lot of death certificates uh, and you get this death certificate and someone's died and you get down there and... Um, they've got diabetes and yeah, they've yeah, you know, they got heart yeah. It's, problems it's and fairly, pneumonia fairly. And um, they've taken know. a fall. Yeah, <laughs> like. yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So in the death you've got contributing diseases that might have contributed to the to yeah. the um, to death. But then you've got actual um, causes, and it doesn't start with just one cause. You say this was caused by that, was which caused that, and that led to the death. So you have got the direct cause, which may be the heart stop, but the heart stop because of myocarditis, you know, and that was caused by a viral infection with COVID-19 or whatever. So you've got mm. – so it is – when you're when you filling out a death certificate, you actually got to think about it for a bit because you can really stuff it up and, yep. and you're under a little bit of pressure to get this thing done so that people can move on. And you yeah. can imagine it in certain situations in emergency rooms – there's not the time to really go through that process. If you're in an epidemic like in New York, mm. you just, all you want to do is get on to the next guy. You don't want to muck around yeah, with this paperwork. Yeah, you don't want to be filling out paperwork, yeah. yeah. And yet were the hospitals really exhausted in, in, in New York because they had that US Navy, is it, hospital ship? Hope, wasn't it? Hope. Apparently yeah. it wasn't used. Mm. Yeah, that's because of incompetence by the authorities. The, the hospital system in New York was overwhelmed. And the ship wasn't taking people, so they made it really difficult for people to get on that ship. So, and wasn't there a uh, sort of temporary hospital also built somewhere in a park? Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, but yeah. did they use it? Well, they may have, but definitely the hospital system was overwhelmed was in, in New York. Totally overwhelmed. Jail. When you say overwhelmed, as in 
uh, they had people in the corridors and in makeshift rooms and people were not getting proper, okay. anywhere near proper okay. attention because doctors were exhausted, facilities were full. But that wasn't and, the case in every uh, American city, thanks. No, it wasn't. And it certainly wasn't the case in Australia. Nowhere near. No, no, we did well. Of course not. Our, our hospitals have been empty. People yeah. are rattling around with nothing to do because yeah. all the elective surgery was put off. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, what else do we need to consider? Is and was you'd mentioned this a, a while ago when comparing countries is um, luck and super spreaders. So, some countries have just got unlucky where. In South Korea and in France, they had some really massive Christian evangelical sort of conventions with thousands of people in the very early days where that ended up just exploding the virus throughout the community and they're just unlucky that they happened to have that sort of event there. And even in New Zealand with the Ruby Princess, whatever it's called, like, mm. um, so you can get unlucky with – just get unlucky – as well, with the best of systems. Football um, matches. There was a football mm, match um, in yeah. Milan. The Bergamese mm. were at a football match there. About a third of the whole population of Bergamo were. And yeah. when you talk about um, super spreaders, it'll be interesting to see what comes out when they start to drill down into this data and see if there's some people who, for genetic reasons or whatever is in their personal environment as it was, um, actually shed the virus more frequently and spread it more too. So there may be factors like that mm. that um, we're at the moment not aware well, of. I'm, I'm reading a lot of stuff about droplet transfer mm. rather than aerosol transfer. Mm. So And that sort of um, ties in with these massive church services where they're singing mm. and football matches where they're vocal mm. and, you know, uh, cruise ships where there's dance floors and people are in each other's faces and singing and, and, and speaking meals. loudly and mm. abattoirs yeah. where you have to speak loudly for the guy yeah, next the to noise. you to hear. Yeah. There's that droplet mm. transfer. Mm. Yep. And there's I a lot do of it all movement, the time. A lot of movement of air through Particularly the when I'm drinking, so right. you're lucky there's <laughs> yep. a space between us. Right. <laughs> yeah, social distancing. Right, and we're, we're nearly done with the preliminaries, believe okay. it or not. The other idea to keep in mind is... When we're comparing countries and we're talking about shutdowns and we're saying, oh, this country had a shutdown and this one didn't or whatever, uh, really there's two things. Is when did the shutdown start? How early or late did it occur? Or did it occur just way too late when things have got completely out of hand? Mm -hmm. And the other one is the quality of the shutdown and the quality of it just because it was mandatory and imposed by government doesn't necessarily mean it was more exactly effective right. or tougher than mm. voluntary codes that people might have adopted. Yeah. So when we're looking at these comparisons done between countries and they start looking at death rates and start saying, oh, this mob had a shutdown but this mob didn't, invariably it's not that clear mm. as to who had a shutdown. And mm. I was looking at stuff where... Um, where basically they were talking about England and Ireland and, and you looked at one chart which was suggesting that the UK had started a lot earlier with their shutdown and of equal severity to Ireland, but reading other material indicated that in actual on-the-ground effect, Ireland was way ahead of the UK. And so, um, so yeah, all of these compli and complicating factors... 
coming yeah. to mm-hmm. The um, Asian countries that were hard hit by the avian bird flu and the swine flu, they still had very much memories of the, mm. the, the dramas <clears throat> that that caused. So, mm. you know, they went into, you know, lockdown by themselves. They, mm. they started social distancing and wearing masks and mm. doing all the appropriate stuff before the uh, yeah. authorities had, had to tell them to. Yeah, I think that happened a bit in Australia, really. You know, I mean, Morrison was talking about things like that, but I think the population suddenly became a bit scared and we had the um, ability because we're fairly spread out in our country in terms of even in the city and you know, because of suburbia and that, that mm. people started to self Mm. isolate because there was a bit of fear out there. Mm. I had relatives ringing up because I'm a retired doctor saying, what about this, what about that and and stuff. So there was Mm. definitely fear out there. So I think people just started to go, look, I'm staying away from people. Um, And and that's really hard for uh, analysts to measure Mm. after the event um, across all these countries when they're trying to do graphs and charts of 150 countries to know mm. how what was really going on on the ground is really difficult. So, mm. But we do know that this is transmitted through human contact of some sort. So um, the less <clears throat> contact you have with people, the less your chances are of getting it. Like, I think you're on solid uh, ground there. <laughs> ultimately, we do know that reducing um, contact has to have the effect of reducing the transmission of mm. the virus. It just has to. Yeah. Because but of the interestingly, on that point, all of these super spreader events, none of them have been traced back to an aircraft where people no. are in close contact or even a public transport, you know, because in those situations you're not generally yep. talking or you're definitely not yelling at each other. Yep. Um so, and you're not hugging. Yeah. The... So there's contact. Mm. There's mm. there's different types of contact. Mm. That face to face contact where you're talking yep. loudly seems mm. to be the trends are showing yep. that that is is. Um, yep. And in situations where you're sharing food in a buffet or something mm. would be you know yeah. would be horrendous. Or, or in yep. a church service where yep. they're using the same spoon to yep. yes give you the body of Christ or whatever it is yep. they do there. Yeah. So with all that in mind. Was mm. what's mm. your theories on Sweden now? Was it, is it Sweden. Do, has it done the right thing or not? Well, I I think what it's showing um, is that they haven't made a big blunder. I, I, I wouldn't go as far to say that they've got it right, but I wouldn't go as I, I wouldn't think that they've made a big stuff up at all. Um, they. They could have done things a lot better, particularly around um, aged care facilities, yeah. and that's by their own admission. Um, but there are some commentators, particularly from the UK, who I believe wanted Sweden to fail miserably, and it really hasn't. Like the UK, in terms of deaths per capita, is significantly worse than Sweden. So, right. So if but you, the other one's Belarus. If, not too many people are paying too much attention to Belarus, but the, for, the president for, there basically thinks it's all a hoax and hasn't implemented any strict sort of social distancing measures, and they're doing pretty good. No, so not. does this come down 
this comes yeah i agree for one the figures you know are, are very different but the this comes down again to the people making the decision that they're going to isolate themselves and they're going to say well Mr. President, we don't care, you know, like mm. in Australia, Morrison was, I think, I believe slow and people were acting before he even got round to making these announcements about social isolation. And I, I would say in Sweden, um, people did the same thing and mm. it's not because of what their government did but it's because of what the people did. Mm. Mm. And, and some countries like Switzerland apparently had a, a fairly similar death toll to Sweden, and the Swiss did lock down hard. Mm. And again, Taiwan is a standout. Taiwan uh, started testing people on something like the 31st of December or 31st of January, it might have been. Mm. They started testing people very, very much before other people. Here it is. They started inspecting passengers arriving from the epicentre on December 31st. Wow. Now, that's early, isn't it? Mm. December 31st. And the reason is because they had been through SARS and other uh, infection, Mm. infectious uh, Mm. events. Mm. And they were on guard, you know. Mm. They were were ready. Mm. And they had their hospitals and they had the equipment. Everything Mm. was ready for the next one. Mm. And when they saw it coming, they started acting. They did not have hard lockdowns. Mm. And even what, Germany, a friend of mine uh, has just travelled back to Germany and just, she was saying that the f- maximum fine over there is like $200 if you're caught not social distancing. Mm-hmm. And that's $200 if you're part of a group, if, if you're having a house party or <laughs> so something. So you share the $200 fine. there's 40 of you at the wow. house party, that's a $200 fine for the, for the house. Yeah. And what about <laughs> the statistics for Taiwan? 441, this is of May 27th. So yeah, they're, they're winning. Taiwan's 441 winning. confirmed cases. How many deaths? I have no idea. Seven. Mm-hmm. Mm. Seven. Yeah, Vietnam, I think, hasn't had one death. Yet. And that's without a, <laughs> that's without a lockdown. No, but but yeah. when you say that's without a lockdown, yes. um, so there was no voluntary lockdown there was no Except reduction they, they the, didn't the, there was no reduction in social mobility no there was no. i think they encouraged people well, well this is the point we're making no, but lockdown is not social, social distancing, distancing it's two uh, different but, things but, but well okay did any businesses did they close gyms at all did they stop uh, any, did people voluntarily cease yeah, probably. stuff so yeah. So that's a voluntary lockdown of it's, some no, degree. It's social it's not distancing. A lockdown. It's people staying away from things and places that they thought might. I, I lockdown is where you're, lo- you're, you're going to say. This is my point. If, was it sometimes here's a fine if you do this? Yeah, yeah but wrong. when you say there's no lockdown, it's not a lockdown. But there was an understanding to stop doing certain practices that they might have done previously. That's still not a lockdown. Mm. A lockdown is where the government says everybody stay home, and if you go more than what is it, so many kilometres from your home, we're going to find the you. Police find you. You're in trouble. Yes. Mm. From the point of view of the virus, it doesn't care whether the government said it or the people do it. It's mm. still, <laughs> but it's still distancing. yes. But we're we're talking about what measures worked, what measures mm. were effective, what measures were ineffective. Mm. I, I'm still but, not convinced a lockdown was necessary. But. Then you've got the complicating factors of culture yeah. so and experience. Like they had an experience with SARS, mm-hmm. so they knew it intimately what but could you're, happen with you're infectious. But you're diverging. You're di- you're no, 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 I'm trying to say you're <laughs> saying 
that there was no lockdown and because they had a low death rate, that mm-hmm. proves you don't need a lockdown. But you're not taking into account all the other things I was in the lead-up saying you've got to take into account that these myriad of things of geography and culture and and okay. and, and testing and way things are counted. And Population all these, and these of Taiwan is roughly similar to Australia. It's 24, 25 million, something like that. Right. Much, much smaller area than Australia. So you can take it as a given that they have a lot closer proximity uh, in their daily lives to other people. Yes? Yes. Mm. yes. Okay. Same with Japan. Same with Japan. Same with Japan. Japan yes. also did not have any hard lockdown. They advised people to stay home if they could, and yes. a lot of people did. But Japanese yes. people culturally often wear masks anyway mm. when they're in public space. Yes. So... And- you can get you can get by, you can get through, you but, can minimise fatalities but, but, without a lockdown. But you would have point. to reproduce all the other factors in Taiwan to be confident of that. Not necessarily. Well, yes, because Why? you're just taking one element out of the equation when there's a whole bunch of factors that add up to the result. Yes, but... So you can't just take the one. You have to, no, you have to take all the other parts of the Taiwanese yeah. society yeah. and say, okay, you don't have to have a formal lockdown yeah. provided you've got an experienced um, country that's dealt with a SARS epidemic and knows the risks. You've got an obedient culture. You've got massive testing regime that they had. They didn't and, really and, massively and test the Taiwanese. Taiwan did. I don't think yes, so. Yes, they did. So they had a, they had a big testing regime. Did they? So... so there's other factors that if you want to say, well, you don't need a mandatory lockdown because of Taiwan, then I'd say to you, in that case, you've got to have all the other things that Taiwan has mm-hmm. as well. We you don't really know. One part. This is the point. We don't. So you can't take that one thing and say, oh, you don't need a lockdown yeah, because you've taken that out of isolation with certainty, of all the other things. With certainty, Trevor. But yeah, yeah. the trends... We're talking about trends. And we, we can't talk about certainty at the moment because we're, we're only partway through the this pandemic, is, this but is, we're looking at trends. And the trends show, the data that shows that the, it's, it's not uh, relevant to lockdown. It shows that there's let's, no let's, um, clear correlation. Yeah, correlation. No, 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 no. We've, we've got a hypothesis here, okay? We're, the basic hypothesis we're working on here is social distancing of some sort stops the spread of COVID-19, okay? Now, the way maybe. to get there... Amongst others. Maybe, that's right. This is a hypothesis. No, that's no, why it's there, maybe. There's no but, maybe about that. What, what well, was that statement again? Didn't we just say when the last thing that... Yeah, but for, the, for, the, for this argument, okay, if we say the hypothesis that social distancing stops COVID-19 spread, and I believe that it does, mm-hmm. then... We also then have to look, go back one step and say, how do we get there? Mm-hmm. And in different cultures, with different systems, different environments and that, mm. it will be a different way to get there. But the underlying mechanism is the same. Mm. So in Taiwan, who are primed because of the SARS, mm-hmm. they might be more likely to do it because of their culture, they might be more likely to do it. While in Australia, yeah, we started, but maybe we need some, needed that extra bit of, you know... Yes, but what because about Because we had other things missing that the Taiwanese culture had. what about the Swiss and the Swedes wouldn't be that dramatically different culturally, and yet there was a, a fairly dramatic difference. But, it, but if you want to compare... So if you're trying to get rid of as many variables as possible, mm. so you're trying to have things as close as possible with only one thing different, that's mm. when you can decide whether that one factor... Is, is important or not. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about Sweden, I think you have to compare it to Norway and Finland. Mm. Culturally close, 
also isolated from Europe because isolated? of water. By ge- geographically, no, it isn't. Geographically, Sweden and Norway have got a water barrier from with a from, bridge joining it to to Denmark. Yeah, but it's so entirely but it's entirely different. I'll get to the UK, but <laughs> but but then when you go to the UK, you've got a completely different culture to the Scandinavians. So I'm trying to get rid of as many variances mm. as possible. How is and it so dramatically different? The Scandinavians and the British. The culture, yeah, I think the culture yeah. is. Can, can Much we not, of a muchness can we in not, any Western European Can we country. not admit that Norway, Sweden and Finland, as Scandinavian countries, are, are closer in culture as a group, they're quite similar, and there'd be quite a difference to then the UK? Can we not admit that as a no, cultural thing? No, I don't agree. I don't agree. <laughs> I, I think, agree. <laughs> I think, no, so, can Western, I finish my, can I finish my point? Western culture is so homogenised these <laughs> Please. days. Can I, can no. I finish I mean, my point? Seriously, it's, can I, it's... Can I finish my point? If, if you're trying to compare countries, then uh, Australia and New Zealand, isolated from the rest of the world, similar cultures, water barrier, you can make some uh, comparisons about our experiences. And if something worked here and didn't work there, you've knocked out a lot of variables, Okay. I'm saying if you're looking at Sweden, you have to compare it to Norway and Finland, and in that regard, it's performed poorly. So, and a lot of those variances uh, uh, don't apply, and you can kind of put it down to more or less the, the different form of lockdown, voluntary in Sweden, okay. more so mandatory in Norway and Finland. So that's... Belarus. Okay, Belarus is a heap of shit. It's run by a dictator mm. who said that COVID-19 is, is a made-up disease. Yeah. So he's bullshitted the figures. And how many people... Oh, he's oh, fudged the figures. Absolutely. So you like, think there's, a, there's this, all these dead Belarusians... This, this podcast... That he's not counting. ...every week, you guys talk about the Chinese fudging stuff... And then you're prepared to say Belarus is a shining light of truth. Oh, come on. No, I'm not saying it's a shining light of truth. I'm saying there's no reason to suspect that the the data out of Belarus is wrong. There is, actually. So I've got some links to some stuff with Belarus. So... um uh, I have to concede this time. Yes, <laughs> yes. Do I mean, I to... we do about governments that fudge these because yeah, there was an art... all okay. the time. And uh, there's an yeah. article in the John Menadue blog by Ramesh Thakur, mm-hmm. and. I normally like the John Menadue blog. I think it's a good blog normally. Yeah, well. He wrote two articles <laughs> that I thought were full of shit. So in the same way I sometimes object to Spiked, The Spectator and Quillette for its... For sometimes irras- object. For totally sometimes object. Yeah. <laughs> I'm prepared I think to it's admit- written down that he hates it. I'm prepared <laughs> to admit... That's on record. <laughs> yeah, a solid record. publication like the John Menadue blog can sometimes put up something where I'll go, you know what, that doesn't stack up. Yeah. And Ramesh the Thakur on his COVID study doesn't stack up. And in particular, he referred to Belarus, and yeah. I did some investigating, and all the links are there was, you can look at it later. Yeah. But essentially... I read that. Um, mm, um, I thought I did. He's, the president there has dismissed COVID-19 panic as a psychosis, mm. and basically the independent newspaper there is saying these figures don't match up, and they... Um, quote other sources that give other figures, and let's face it, Belarus and a dictator who thinks it's all bullshit, like, of course his figures are going to be dodgy. And even things like in the Ramesh Thakur article, he talked about they haven't closed the schools, but in fact, 
they extended the school holidays out and other things. So, so um, that's just all speculation. You've got no actual I wouldn't evidence. Tr- I couldn't. You've tr- just got someone who's written a column but, that's shared an opinion that I think. But the I couldn't trust data it. is not trustworthy. So you're not going to trust it. You've I'm got not, your I'm not piece tr- of evidence. I, I'm not going to trust Belarus on COVID nineteen f- facts. So um, I'm not going to trust China either. But um, so I'm not. Um, I'll trust the Australian figures, the New Zealand figures. I'll trust the Scandinavia figures. But sometimes, honestly, those Western countries mm. will count them differently. Oh, they do through mm. their own choice. So yeah. some of them have different counting methods, methodologies that they've just chosen to adopt without wanting to be fraudulent. But let's face it, a nutty dictator from Belarus, when was it, why do I have to justify not believing that? Why, you why, don't. Why, why, thank you. So, so please, let's knock Belarus out of, our, out of, the, out of the discussion. Any yeah, other so, countries we need to So what about, what about states of Australia? If we're talking about same culture... Okay, so there the, we're, the, now the we're getting state, into the numbers. The state of Australia that's had the hardest lockdown, yep. Victoria, it, but, hasn't really performed that well. But has now it? we're getting into small numbers. Yeah, we're getting and, into small and, numbers, fellas, yeah. here. Mm. Yeah, so, so, um, yeah, so we can't, we just can't rely on, once you're mm. talking about that small numbers, then, then luck is, an ama- is a big factor. That, that's big like factor. New Zealand and Australia, you could look on a per deaths per million basis and say, oh, New Zealand's done worse than Australia on a mm. deaths per million basis. But the numbers are so small that outliers have a too larger effect. Like statistically, um, that's dangerous to do. So, mm. um, so I still maintain with Sweden that it should be compared to its neighbouring Scandinavian countries. And when you do that, you've knocked out a lot of these cultural variations and you're kind of comparing apples with apples as much as possible and so, to mm. me, See, I, I think it's, yeah. I, I think it's wrong to say that all Scandinavian countries are the same. I, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying they're more or less. You, you they're, they're, and I, they're, I agree with Paul. I think all European countries are pretty much homogenous. Germany, the UK, Ireland, particularly the UK and Ireland, and In we're seeing we're seeing life, some pretty big differences know. between the UK and Ireland, aren't we? Mm. Even the USA. Okay, but. Differences but, between the UK and Ireland are again related to the the commencement of the shutdown and the quality of it. Mm. One of the things we saw in Sweden was uh, the aged care facilities, and from what I've read, the aged care facilities in Sweden are much bigger than what they are in, say, Norway. Now that that's not so much a cultural thing; that's more of a structural health system yeah. type of thing. So if you get the coronavirus into a into a aged care facility that's got 120 people in it, you're more likely to have a lot more deaths than if you get the coronavirus into an aged care facility that's got 15 people in it. Look, there's no perfect comparison because even Sweden, mm. I think, has a higher um, immigration sort of rate from... Uh, so, that, mm. you know, they've got they a population do. there that maybe doesn't exist. So there's always going to be other things. You looked like you wanted to say something before, oh, I was just, Craig. Yeah. I was just looking for the actual Is it on my name? side, in which case? <laughs> oh, okay. It's completely irrelevant, actually. <laughs> just looking at the small numbers in Australia, and there's a fallacy, that statistical thing. It's a fall- the fallacy called base rate neglect, which is, you know, when you're looking at small numbers. So it's actually mm. got a name. That was all. Mm. Um, but, yeah, with, with Sweden... Would we call um, 100 deaths a small number, though? I suppose you would. Yes. 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 You would. Yeah. In a pandemic. Yeah. In a global mm. pandemic. Yeah. 
And mm. when you look at the actual rate, like you were saying, was it in Taiwan seven seven deaths? Seven deaths in are they lying? No, well, I don't think so. <laughs> or, or is it the way they count them? So are we really sure that guy died of COVID? Nah, yeah. we'll skip that. If one. you divide that into the four hundred and seven or whatever, yes, something like that. that, that uh, it was like one point whatever four or three small. or something like that. If you look at the numbers for Australia, it's the same sort of percentage death rate. Too. But I, I, even even in countries, if you compare Denmark to Finland, like Denmark's twice as bad as Finland. But then Denmark is more connected to the main uh, land of Europe. So geographically, there's a difference. But that didn't help the UK, did it? <laughs> no, but then the You'd UK... you think the UK would be but, one of the star performers but, but then because the UK of their has geographical difference. The UK difference. has got London. So London, Paris and New York hmm. are extremely cosmopolitan centres that attract a lot of international flights. So, so that's the thing. Like, here's an article that was comparing the UK and Ireland, and I've got a link to it, dear listener, and there's six different well-credentialed professors and experts who all came up with six different reasons as to why there was a difference between the UK and Ireland. Dr William Hanag, an Associate Professor of Epidemiology at Harvard University, talked about superspreaders. Professor Sheila Bird, a former program leader at MRC Biostatistics Unit, looked at how deaths are reported and urbanisation. Paul Hunter, a professor in medicine at the University of East Anglia, said the UK has more blacks and Asians. Uh, Keith Neal, Emeritus Professor in Epidemiology of Infectious Diseases at the University of Nottingham, said London is an international hub. Professor Samuel McConkie, an infectious disease expert at RCSI University of Medicine and Health Sciences in Dublin, said Ireland had a quick reaction and has a different population density because it's more rural. Rural speculation. <laughs> and Sean Lestrange, University of College, University College Dublin sociologist, um, he said, well, the responses were actually not that different. So, so we've so, got to listen to the experts. So which the which point, one do we listen so to? So the <laughs> point is it is way too difficult <laughs> to compare countries and say, oh, shutdowns don't work. Because you can never isolate shutdown as the single difference between countries. Yes, agree. <laughs> agree? No, no I, oh, don't agree. I don't agree. I don't agree. The data, the data paints a different story. If you torture the data long enough, you'll get the result you want. No, no, I'm, I haven't <laughs> tortured the data. You, you, correlation is not causation. You, you torture like, the data like, to, to show me that I'm, I'm wrong. Like I, I, I'm. I've done my best. <laughs> I'm quite. I'm quite. See, that was the reason for the lead up. Sometimes people go, "What's what?" what must be thinking, "Why what? is this big lead up?" Just get into the frigging discussion. Mm. Well, it's because <laughs> you need that lead up to establish the rules yeah. of the game. Mm. And according to the rules of statistics and quantitative analysis, you can't say that shutdowns don't work because we know. But as we, a matter we also of medicine, can't say that they do work. That's well, right. Well, we know as a matter of medicine that they do. No, we don't. We, we know that keeping well, people from we mixing... We, the, in, in the hospital, in the yeah. infectious diseases mm. ward, that's what we do. We're doing with COVID-19. That's not the same as shutdown, though. We don't that's know. right. No, it's isolation, but, though. But, but, it's yeah, the, yeah, underlying, right. isolation the underlying principle a, is isolation. In a facility. It but, do, it's still isolation. The underlying thing is isolation. So yeah. whether you do what mechanism you use to do that is another matter, but yeah, it's yeah. still isolation. So if the virus can't get to you, you can't get COVID nineteen. Agreed. But yeah. uh, you know, uh, we we have for the last few weeks been discussing 
what our government should or shouldn't have done. Now, mm. we know that our government chose shutdown. We know it's caused immense economic harm. And there are other people now writing about how many more children around the world, particularly in developing countries, will die uh, due to shutdown in developed countries. But see, your issue is the mandatory voluntary situation. Absolutely. See, mm. you're saying you would have liked the people to have restricted their movements just not to have been forced not to. Absolutely. So that's your big... So so you're really... What you're saying is a shutdown didn't have to be mandatory. We would have been okay with a voluntary one, is what you're saying. No, what I'm saying is that... Because you can't say a shutdown itself is not effective. You're just saying we didn't need a mandatory one. And that's the only way that you could prove that a lockdown was effective is to have exactly the same country and run the scenario with lockdown and without lockdown. Now, now when you're saying without lockdown, you're saying voluntary or mandatory. We've got to start using those terms here because you guys seem to be confusing. There's no no voluntary lockdown in my definition of lockdown. Lockdown is where the government enforces penalties for not social distancing. Uh, But but Paul is talking about... Paul's problem is a voluntary as opposed to a mandatory lockdown. Well, that, Yours well, is an when actual... It, when the government imposes fines for yeah. not social distancing. Yeah, well, that's, that's a lockdown. forced lockdown. I, yeah. I sort of take Trevor's point on that. On that, But what I'm saying... Yes, I know it's unbelievable. Right. But what I'm saying <laughs> is, I think... Yeah. There's the blackboard over there. Put a tick. Concession. We're at the one... Our 24-minute, 59-second mark of episode 256. (laughs) We're nearly five years into this podcast. (laughs) There's one tick on the blackboard. (laughs) Boy, look, the point I make is that I cannot see any really strong correlation between lockdown and... You know, can you use voluntary and pandemic? Please do not use the word lockdown without saying voluntary or mandatory in front of it, because I don't understand what you're saying and the listeners don't. Either I don't think either kind was absolutely necessary. Voluntary lockdown and mandatory lockdown. Yes. All I can say is two words: New York. That's the reason why we needed some sort of. I'm so glad I've some sort of social isolation. They, they had a mandatory, mandatory or not mandatory. Yeah, they but had a mandatory. In Australia, but it was a how they go? It was too, oh, it was too in late. In New York, it was too. Terrible. It was too late. It was. It was too, this is. We're going to have a lockdown. Everyone's got it. This is the point. You can't say New York had a lockdown when we we spent oh, right. the lead up to this saying they actually were too late with it. They missed the boat. So right. there are lockdowns and there are lockdowns. But they did have one, didn't they? Well, if the boat's already sailed, no, it's no. too late. A lockdown is, a, is, a, is an action, is a physical action yeah, but of if, everybody if, staying at home. If a significant proportion of your population's already got the disease and then you say, let's lock down, you've missed the point of a lockdown. You've lost the opportunity. And yeah. we nearly lost it in yes, Australia that's, too that's because Australia the was too late I'm as well. Making. The point I'm no, making No, is, but that's the point the WAS was making and I, Craig. I think we could have avoided crashing our economy by just teaching people better hygiene habits, encouraging mm. social distancing. Wearing masks. All these other things, wearing masks, if that's what it why, takes, without uh, crashing the economy. Okay, so Tell now me this, you're why shifting. Doesn't, why can doesn't can the I just ra- stop, please? Yeah. Now you're shifting because previously you were, there's a difference between voluntary and mandatory and you're saying, well, we didn't need a mandatory lockdown. We could have been okay with a voluntary. No, I don't but, think but, we needed but, any kind Okay, of but now you're saying we didn't need to shut our businesses down like we did. We didn't need right. a, a, 
a lockdown, voluntary or mandatory. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Thank you. I've just got that on the record. <laughs> Sorry, please continue, Was. Our, all of the, I just keep thinking New York with yeah, this, exactly. under this scenario. Yes, I just can't see all of like New York, Sydney. Craig. That's my but point. The results Austra- the in same. the Australian context, I don't think we needed to crash the economy by telling everybody to stay home. And, and what's the economy for? To keep people alive. Thank you. <laughs> what's the important thing? Keeping people alive. That's that's yes, what but, we're about. But the, I mean, as as some commentators have have very, I think, correctly stated, it wasn't a choice of lockdown or death. It was a choice of death one way or death another way. And unfortunately, our government chose death with we're, we're, a crashed we're, economy. We're not getting deaths from a crashed economy. Yes, we are. No, we're that's not. the whole point. No, we're not. We'll, not not immediately, and, and, but we will. And if we do, it's not because of of the lockdown, it's because we haven't put in place enough of a safety net for people. So I mean, that's I like the how problem. Trevor's so no. certain about some things, right. but not other things. Tell me this, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Far away. <laughs> Masks. Yes. Do they help spread, stop the spread of disease? Yes and no. And I'll tell you why they do, why yes is correct, is when mm. if you're trained to use them correctly, so in hospitals and emergency mm. departments and that, you put on your mask. You do not touch it again, okay? If yeah. you touch it again, whoosh, off again, put another one on, do, okay? Yeah. Well, if when I'm seeing people out that's in the community... That's perfect, no yeah, transfer. Yeah, and that's but what you've got to do. A, even a poorly worn mask would prevent some transfer, right? We're not talking oh, yeah. about yeah. completely... Um, Hazmat suit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So even, a, uh, even a poorly worn mask yeah. is going to stop that droplet transfer. Yeah. Like if I had a mask on now and I spat when I'm taught, mm. I spoke, it's not mm. going to get on you. So if I had COVID nineteen, mm. I'm not going to spit on you. So I'm going it's to reduce definitely going the effect. To reduce, there, there is a place for transferring masks, it to you, but we yeah. need training of people too. Because if you start fiddling with it and you put, you've touched the surface, and mm. the reason you're touching your face and your mouth and all that more frequently is because of your mask. Mm. then you may actually give yourself the COVID-19. Mm. So unless you get across the fact that, you know, you just don't touch it, you know, it doesn't matter how much your nose is itching, you just do not do it, mm. then you may make things worse. So when the government did that, they said no masks, I thought, yeah, I can understand why. Do they have any evidence for that? No, we don't have any evidence because, you know, that's not going through. Maybe the epidemiologists will tease this out. But mm. there was that definite fact, and that's went through my head, was people will just be fiddling with it all the time because they don't fit properly and, yeah. So there are problems, but I do concede masks do stop the spread of infection and stops mm. you getting the infection too. So mm. why don't our roadmaps to COVID safety mention masks at all? If we're looking forward, you know, it may be that masks become the way to go. That might mm. be the next step. Now, at the beginning, we didn't have that option because it just wasn't enough masks. Mm. So you can't use something where there's just no possibility. Mm. But that may be a way forward because I'm still not convinced that we're not going to have this second wave, you know. Mm. I've got my – I had the predictions wrong. I thought that Most we might – Most people did. I thought it would be 100,000. I thought we were heading for 100,000 people dead in Australia, mm. but I thought things would start to change and we'd get 50,000. So I'm just ecstatic that – it hasn't happened that way, and I think the people did that. Mm. I don't think politicians particularly did but because I think we were late, and I think what the point you're making, Paul, is I think Australia moved too late. 
we could have been over this a lot faster in terms of moving on to the next stage, except the government moved slow. They moved too slow, you know, and, and we've got Morrison, you know, with bad habits and touching people and all this other thing that he's doing and not doing social distancing. It's a mixed message. Mm. And he could have moved earlier. He would have had to convince the people, but that's what statesmanship, statesmanship is all about. He should have done that. We should have moved early. And when you think about it, if the infectivity period is two weeks... It can be all over and Red Rover in two weeks. Now, I think that's probably pushing a bit much. But certainly in one month, one month, and he, this was, when was this? Back in March, and we're here we're in mm-hmm. June. Yeah? We could have done this a lot faster and been mm-hmm. on it like Taiwan. And when you talk about, you know, we, we've had the mandatory thing, we didn't have it early enough. If we, if we waited even longer, we might have been like New York. I don't know. Mm. I'll give you another interesting fact about Taiwan. They never developed a coronavirus tracing app. They didn't see it as useful or necessary. They had excellent tracking and tracing. They have a mandatory by uh, manual means. Everybody in Taiwan is in their uh, public health systems of records. So when they test somebody positive, then they isolate that person and they, they track them. And, and if they turn off their mobile phone for more than 15 minutes, somebody knocks on the door and says, turn your phone on. And they had a huge number of people able to ring and say, who have you associated with? Where have you been? Yes. What have you done? Like yes. They had a massive number of people employed to do that and trained after the SARS virus. Yep. Like, so if you want to say, we don't need a lockdown, you have to transport that system to Australia and have it in place and say, oh, we don't need a lockdown because... We've got this, we, this experience ready to go, and we didn't, so we couldn't. We did, we did have our public health system does have very good contact tracing. We've done it countless times for measles and mm-hmm. various other things, so we have good skills here. Yeah. What we didn't have the skills for was the magnitude, all right? So mm-hmm. something had to happen. To It was the flattening of the curve, mm-hmm. not just for hospital um, admissions, but also for contact tracing too. We have the skills there. We know how to do it. We do it all the time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and we're doing it now. Yep. We, are, we are good at that. We've done it for many, many years, decades. Mm-hmm. Well, there we go. Can yeah. I say uh, one more thing? Because we must be getting near the end of the program, I, I yeah. assume. Our old friend Lionel Shriver wrote a really nice piece in uh, a paper that you wouldn't read because... Spiked, that he hates. Spiked. The Spectator. Oh, okay. God. But you like Lionel Shriver. I, I, I do like... Okay, Spiked, Spectator, Quillette and Lionel Shriver... Quillette! Are, ...are on the money when it comes to cultural identity issues. Uh, on the money. Only cultural identity issues. And sometimes... That's a very narrow Sometimes free speech. ...category. Oh. But... Um, but, what, uh, what have you got against them? Why wouldn't you well, trust Well, for them? a start, Spiked is funded by the Koch brothers. Big surprise for you. What? It isn't. It is. How do you know? There was a report done by John Monbiot. Oh, John Monbiot. Oh, yes. yeah. He's a really impartial commentator. You know John Monbiot? <laughs> yes. Very, totally impartial. Yes. Doesn't lean left Never or right. Sorry, uh, Trevor. Yes. To spring this on you live on the broadcast. Right. I wrote. You're to not the man- sorry. I wrote to you're, the manager. You're loving this. Yeah. Yep. I wrote to Spiked mm. because I was having an argument with someone else who mm. who made that claim. Mm. So I actually wrote to Spiked. Yeah. And what they say? Okay. Saying? Do you want to read it? Yeah. 
This is good. Sorry. This is good. My email is at the bottom and the reply is at the top. Have a, have oh, a good look at that. Okay. Hi, Paul. This is from Viv Regan. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this became quite a long and involved discussion. And if you want to hear yeah. the rest of it, you don't watch the video. <laughs> yeah. So um, for the audio, we've chopped it off and you can see it there. Peace. Yeah. And we're still <laughs> friends. I forgot what this podcast was about. Do you remember what it was? <laughs> All right. And to those who have managed to stay, uh, look, I thought it was entertaining. I did too. Yeah. I just think. <laughs> I think we should wind up this episode. Oh, okay. Let's. This is now getting in a post episode discussion. <laughs> if you're in the chat room, I tip my hat to you. <laughs> Good on you. You're a true believer. Good. We'll be back next week. Bye for now. Bye, listeners. Bye, listeners. Bye, everyone. You're going to be so proud of your country if I get in. You're going to be so proud of your president, and I don't care about that. But you are going to be so proud of your country because we're going to turn it around and we're going to start winning again. We're going to win so much. We're going to win at every level. We're going to win economically. We're going to win with the economy. We're going to win with military. We're going to win with health care and for our veterans. We're going to win with every single facet. We're going to win so much. You may even get tired of winning and you'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. We can't take it anymore. Mr. President, it's too much. And I'll say, no, it isn't. We have to keep winning. We have to win more. We're going to win more. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And... When you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you... Go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth... More than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation, so you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks. Thanks.